So welcome everybody. Sure glad to see you here today. And uh, this is uh, the first in a series on uh, the book of Jude. And um, I originally made up these uh, lessons to teach to Micronesian Islanders out in Hawaii. And uh, we had a lot of um, pastors and church leaders at those uh, Bible studies. So um, I made them a little shorter than what Jacob usually does. They're more like about an hour long and uh, did that so that people would have enough time to ask questions, etc. So uh, that's kind of the for format I'm going with here. Um, that's why, for instance, this first lesson is uh, just verses one through four. <laughs> so that doesn't sound like a lot, but I'll tell you, Jude is jam-packed with information that we need to be able to discern false teachers. And uh, we'll start looking at that today. But first, I want to go into uh, talk about a little bit of the background of this letter. Um, Jude was a personal letter from him, a leader in the apostolic church to one or more of the congregation dispersed through the Roman Empire. And the dangers facing the church at this time were not those of outright persecution and extinction, but of heretics and distorters of the faith. That's the same dangers that we have today in particular. Um, they, he was basically facing, I always say it's kind of like two sides of of uh, heretical Christianity. Uh, one side you've got legalism and on the other side you've got liberalism. The legalism was coming from the Jews. They were trying to get Gentile Christians to come back under the law, get circumcised, those kinds of things, which the Lord, you know, is, is not what the Lord wants for us to be doing. And then, of course, the second one, the other side was liberalism, which was basically the Gnostics. The Gnostics had kind of just started during this time. And, uh, you know, they were coming in with, oh, we have new revelation and, and all this kind of stuff. And uh, basically the same as the false teachers today. Well, the author identifies himself as Jude, which, of course, is another form of the Hebrew named Judah. And he was most likely Judas, the half-brother of our Lord. Now, according to the NIV Bible, this letter was probably written about AD 65, but the Biblical Studies Foundation makes a pretty strong argument that it was probably written more like around 66 to 67 AD. So 2 John, 3 John, and Jude could have all been written about the same time. And that's why I think you, you, you will find them to be somewhat similar in their uh, uh, addressing these subjects. So let's look at the first two verses, if you want to follow along. Verse 1 and 2, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called who are loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Now, Jude was the half-brother of Jesus Christ. 
but it's significant that he calls himself the brother of James. Jude wanted everyone to know that though he was the half-brother to Jesus Christ through his mother Mary, he considered himself to be a servant of Jesus. And that's what we all need to be doing. We're servants of Jesus. Not like this guy, uh, what's his name, Furtick over here, who's basically saying you're the same as Jesus Christ. No, we are sons. We are sons of, of, uh, of God when we are born again. We're not God himself. That's total heresy. Well, I'm sure there were those who tried to idolize him for being the brother of Jesus Christ. You can imagine. Ooh, he's really something else. I, I dare say that if he had the character of someone like Benny Hinn, he would have written Jude, the brother of Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'm sure Benny Hinn could trace his roots back to Christ. He would use that information to get support for himself and power over people. I mean, he's the guy who basically came out and said that he was a Jew. And he was never a Jew. He was a Palestinian and um or an arab you know from from that descent and uh it's funny because jacob met him one time in the islands and jacob started speaking hebrew to him and he couldn't understand a word that jacob was saying and so jacob <laughs> translated for him <laughs> what i'm telling you is you're a false prophet <laughs> you're a nebuchadnezzar you're a nebuchadnezzar <laughs> I just, I wish I'd been a fly on the wall for that one, but it was so good. You know, finally confronted the guy, but his bodyguards just about uh, were ready to take Jacob apart. But you know what? Jude does just the opposite of what we think he might do. He calls himself the servant of Jesus Christ. You know, uh, that's significant. These men were humble men. They didn't go around parading themselves as great, wonderful, anointed, this and that. They were humble servants of Jesus Christ. And that's one way that you can tell whether a person is a true teacher or not, is their humility. Well, he was addressing this letter to those who had been called and who are loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ. So he's addressing this letter to true Christians. You know, God has called every true believer. Romans 8, 28 through 30 says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Notice that those, those terms are all like past tense. That's what I love about the Bible. You read Isaiah and a lot of the prophecies are enumerated in a past tense, like they already happened. That's how God sees things. He knows what's going to happen from eternity past to eternity future. It's amazing. But notice the pattern here. God foreknew us from eternity and also foreknew whether we would trust in him for our salvation 
to the end. And because of that foreknowledge, his, his omniscience, he, predest he predestined us. He then called us and we, respond we responded in faith. And when we responded in faith, he justified us. And he will glorify us in eternity. But there are those who act like they're believers, but have not been foreknown of God, nor have they been predestined, called, justified, or glorified. We see an example of that on <laughs> these uh, people who are just have a lot of gall <laughs> on the day of judgment <laughs> in Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Now, it's hard to tell the difference between saved and unsaved sometimes, but Jude goes on to spell out the difference so we can see it. And we will look at many of those differences uh, in, in the lessons to come. There are those who have never been saved, though they act like they're believers. There are also those who believe for a while, but they wander away from the faith. It's sad today, but there are a lot of people wandering away. And we are there to help them. That's what Jude is all about. That's what he talks about. Let's look at Luke 8, 13 through 14. Those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, pleasure, pleasures, and they do not mature. This is Jesus Christ speaking himself. By the way, there are those who teach certain theologies that don't like the fact that Jesus used the words fall away called apostasy and there are many people who are falling into apostasy today james 5 19 through 20 my brothers if one of you would wander from the truth and someone would bring him back remember this whoever turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save both uh you know uh, will say uh will save uh him from death and cover over a multitude of sins 1 Timothy 6.10 says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. This is a big one today. Unfortunately, many people have made money their gods, their idols. Uh, I did a teaching out in Devor just recently on Amos, where we find out that the Israelites were carrying around little golden charms in their pockets <laughs> that were dedicated to two false gods. And unfortunately, that's what happens with a lot of people who call themselves Christians. Oh, they go to church on Sunday. And they go to the, you know, social gatherings. And 
they act like they're all, you know, wonderful Christians, but in their pocket, they've got something that is actually guiding their life. We have to be careful about money. It can steal away people from the Lord. First Timothy 6, 20 through 21 says, Timothy, guard what's been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed, and in so doing have wandered from the faith. Grace be with you. You can wander from the faith by getting involved in godless chatter. And stuff that is supposed to be knowledge, I think today, especially about um, people who are all into this uh, conspiracy theories. There's, a, there's some people out there who are spreading conspiracy theories about Jacob right now. And boy, that can make you wander from the faith real fast. I pray for them because they're in, in danger. Well, 1 Timothy 4.1 the Spirit clearly says that in the latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Unfortunately, that's what we're seeing today. There's so many churches out there where just rank heresies being taught, and people just are lapping it up like it's the one, most wonderful thing ever. And they get deceived because they're learning the wrong things. 2 Timothy 2, 17 through 18 says their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus who have wandered from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place and they destroy the faith of some. You know, faith can be destroyed. I was talking to a number of people out there at Marco Quintana's church in Devore. And a lot of them came out of Word of Faith churches, and they almost had their faith completely destroyed. If they had not found that church or somebody to explain to them that what they were listening to was totally false, their faith would have been destroyed for good. And I know a lot of people whose faith has been absolutely destroyed. They gave all their money to these guys. <sighs> Sorry, I'm raising my voice because it angers me when I see that happening. Oh, and by the way, if you look on the internet, there are actually a number of websites that say that Jesus Christ already returned. <laughs> Believe it or not, I had no idea that was happening. Uh, guess what? Uh, that's first of all, that's taking away our 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 great hope. That's really bad for people to be saying that. That's our, the thing that we have placed our hope on is that he is coming back. And finally, 2 Peter 2.15, they have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Baor, who loved the wages of wickedness. That's what happens. When you start going after money, there are a lot of people who are in, unfortunately, in supposed ministry today, but their goal is money. It's obvious. They're sitting there taking the offerings and building huge mansions and buying expensive cars and jets and you name it. That is not 
proper at all. That's not how a true Christian should be. Well, you know what? I'm so thankful that God knows who's saved from beginning to end. He knows. Because he foreknew everyone and everything from eternity past. He was there. He knows. He knows whom he has predestined, called, justified, and glorified. But there's also the human perspective. We're not God. We're not omniscient. We can't know the final salvation for anyone. Therefore, we must continue to believe. Continue in the faith and not wander away. Because if we wander away, we can be destroyed. It's a dangerous thing. So we uh, must look at the subject of faith from a perspective of space and time in which we live. We have a human perspective. We don't know everything God knows. But we know where we're at with the conviction of the Holy Spirit and through God's word. And we know, according to God's word, we must hold, keep, and persevere in our faith till the end. All the way to the end. Not just for a while. Oh, I'm once saved, always saved. I'm done. Watch out for that. When people say that and they don't explain what that actually means, <laughs> that could be a real danger to people. I've seen people basically on their way to hell saying, oh, I'm fine with God. God's fine with me. I went forward in a, you know, in a church years ago when I was a kid, and I'm once saved, always saved. Be careful of that, because we have to hold on to our faith. We have to live in our faith, stand in our faith. And that's for those who share in God's mercy, peace, and love. Well, let's move on to the last two verses we're going to look at today, which is verses 3 and 4. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. We have a lot of these people who slipped in today, slipped into many churches, actually. Jude wanted to write about the gospel of salvation and all the blessings we share as believers. But he was impressed by the Lord to write a warning and admonishment instead. You know what? There's a time for warnings and there's a time for rejoicing and admonishment. There's a time for everything under heaven. Ecclesiastes 3.1.8. There's a time for everything, a season for every activity under heaven. A time to be born, a time to die. A time to plant, a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain. 
a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. There's a time and a place for everything. And so Jude was addressing the things that are going on in his time. And as luck would have it, not luck, but the foresight of God, it's for us too. It's absolutely appropriate for our time in history. First Corinthians 4.14 says, I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Sometimes we need warnings, folks. Sometimes we forget what's going on, but we need to be re reminded. Ezekiel 3.21 says, but if you do warn the righteous man not to sin and he does not sin, he will surely live because he took warning and you will save yourself and you will have saved yourself. Uh, you know, it's important to warn people. Today in our society, it's like, don't you dare warn anybody of anything that's horrible. Don't judge, uh, touch not the Lord's anointed, you name it, all these ridiculous arguments that are taken out of context what the Bible actually teaches. I always like the part about the uh, judge not lest you be judged because 15 verses later, he's saying, watch out for false prophets. Well, how are you supposed to do that if you're not judging anything? No, we do have to judge. <laughs> we have to judge with righteous judgment according to the word of God. Psalms 81.8 says, Hear, O my people, and I will warn you if you would but listen to me, O Israel. So what is the warning? What's the admonishment? Well, it's to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints once for all folks we don't lay a new foundation like some of these false teachers want to do oh we need a new foundation oh the bible's old it's it's like all dusty and everything it's not appropriate liberals have been saying for decades oh the old testament is don't teach the old testament that's for something in bygone days. <laughs> what a sad situation. The whole Bible is there to admonish us and help us to contend for the faith. Who delivered this faith? Well, it was the prophets, apostles, and of course, most importantly, the object of our faith, Jesus Christ. We need to stay in those teachings that are the foundation of our faith. Very important. We can't build on any other foundation. And a new foundation cannot be laid for the true church today. There are these apostles, quote unquote, trying to lay new foundations for the church. It's a scam. It can't be laid for the true church. Well, it can be laid for apostate churches, but not for the true church. And you know what? That means we have to contend for the faith. Contend is a nice word 
for saying fight. We're to fight for the faith. Sometimes it's a fight. I'm not saying in a nasty way. I'm saying we need to stand up for what's true in the face of a world that's not interested in truth. And in a lot of Christians who are not interested in truth. We need to contend for the for the core doctrines of the faith. They're all under attack today. The Trinity, the dual nature of Christ, salvation by grace alone through faith alone and Christ alone. The authority of the scriptures and, you know, uh, and also the, the second coming of Christ, all under ultimate attack. If we don't contend for the faith, we can lose faith. People can lose faith. The Bible is full of verses that say we need to hold, keep, persevere, and overcome by faith. Let's look at a few of those. Hebrews 4.14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus Christ, Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. We need to hold firmly to what we have learned of the Lord through his word and through the Holy Spirit. Not give it up. Not give it up for these fly-by-night guys who come along. Be careful of them. 2 Timothy 1.13 says, What you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. We're to keep the pattern of sound, sound teaching, not get off into all these newfangled things that are not in keeping with the pattern of sound teaching. I was so shocked when I went back on furlough to speak at the church that my father uh, was his church that he pastored many years ago. And to find that they had spent two years studying Rick Warren's, <laughs> uh, which I, I can't remember which one it was, but one of his books. And in their Bible study. And I'm like, uh, aren't you supposed to study the Bible in a Bible study? Why are you studying his book? That's how you get off. You get off the pattern of sound teaching. Watch your faith. This is 1 Timothy 4.16. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them. Because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. And 1 John 5.4. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that overcomes the world. Even our faith. Faith is the victory. I love that song. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Faith in what? Faith in who? Faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in his word. His word is absolutely true. His word, he puts his word on the same level as his name. That's what the Bible says. Important information. But you know what? Condemned men have slipped in. Today we have wolves among the sheep. And you know what wolves do if they get into a bunch of where they're sheep? 
they attack and eat the sheep. <laughs> They're not just bad for them. They will kill you. And they will kill your faith. Matthew 7.15 says, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. They come and they look so, oh, so Christian and so holy. A friend of mine divulged to me that they were invited to go to a Bible study, and so they thought they'd check it out. And uh, oops, come to find out, they found out later that the church was a oneness Pentecostal church. Right there, you got a big problem. They don't believe in the Trinity. But the pastor was so nice and everything until my friend confronted him and said, these things you're teaching are false teachings. Oh, did he ever get mad? And by the way, he had some bodyguards with, with him there, too. And so they escorted my friend and their little baby out of the church. Don't We don't want you here. Get out. Well, they were wolves. They are to fool people. Boy, that really bothers me. A lot of that going on. Acts 20, 29 also says, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Unregenerate people who claim to be saved but are, have, are not, but are not, have slipped into the churches and our homes through TV. Oh, how do they get into your house? Remember, the Bible says, don't let them in your house. It's that little little box. <laughs> well, not so little in a lot of people's houses these days. It's a TV. You know, they're very good at looking like they're believers and they freely use the name of Jesus. Oh, we love Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I was saved when I said Jesus, Jesus, Jesus over and over again. That's what Steve Hill, that was his... Uh, salvation uh, testimony down there in Brownsville. He laid in his bed and said, Jesus, 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 over and over again. And then he got this feeling. And then he knew he was saved. Oops, that's not the gospel. It has nothing to do with the gospel. That's... These false teachers make big prayers and they can look very holy in their actions. Oh, they're very good at that. But their false doctrines and false prophecies betray who they really are. That's, who you, that's how you can tell. They're not really who they say they are. They're slipping in. What they do is they slip in. They give you some truth, but then they slip in heresy alongside. They lay it alongside. Deceivers don't deceive by giving you all lies. They give you a heaping portion of the truth, and then they slip in the lies so that you really don't recognize their lies. It's an old trick of the enemy. It's what he did to Adam and Eve and what he continues to do today. 
you know what? These people are not sheep that follow the shepherd. They're wolves that follow their own past. Or worse, they follow the enemy. A lot of times they don't know they're actually working for the enemy. Matthew 13, 38 says, the field is the world. The good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. And the weeds are the sons of the evil one. Remember that weeds grow up beside wheat. They grow together in the field. They act like they're wheat. And a lot of times there are certain plants that actually look like wheat. But they're not wheat. But you know, you can tell they are weeds by their teachings, prophecies, and lack of the fruit of the Spirit. We're not talking about fruit in terms of, oh, they do all these signs and wonders. Because the Bible says they'll come along and do great signs and wonders. Oh, no. The fruit they're talking about is, first and foremost, the fruit of the Spirit. And then the fruit of people actually getting saved. So look for that. Jude says, says they are godless men. Though they claim to worship Jesus Christ, their gods are of their own making, which is usually money and fame. They worship at the altar of power instead of humbly submitting to the Lord Jesus Christ. They use his name to their own ends. They make themselves famous and rich by seducing weak-willed Christians into following them. They even use parts of the gospel, you know, to, in other words, get followers to themselves. It's, it's reprehensible what they do. It's worse than even people just saying stupid things and getting people to follow them. But when you use the Lord's name in vain, it's horrible. It's like they're cursing the Lord. 2 Timothy 3.6 they're the kind who worm their way into homes, gain control over weak-willed women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires. By the way, they're weak-willed men, too. Weak-willed people who are not using their will to say, no, I'm not going to follow these guys. But instead, they're allowing themselves to be pushed around. Don't allow people to push you around. Don't allow anybody to lay hands on you. You don't know where their hands have been. It's like today, you know. Got to wash them. Did they wash their hands <laughs> in the Lord Jesus Christ? Where have their hands been? I don't know what they have, but I don't want it. We have to stand against that. When a desire for power or some kind of ecstatic experience takes precedence over a relationship with Jesus Christ, that's evil. Our reason for following the Lord is not so he can make us feel like we're drunk or high or give us power over others. Our reason to follow him is because we're being crucified with him daily to those very kind of evil desires of the flesh. It's evil. Looks like I want God to make me drunk. I want him to give me some weird experience. 
I want to be able to pass that on to other people. That's all evil. That's not what we're there for. We're there to, to grow in him. To help others. Oh, yes, the Lord still gives gifts. But those kinds of things, slain in the spirit is not a gift from the Lord at all. Galatians 5.24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. So these false teachers, they change the freedom from the law of Moses that we have because of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. They change it for immorality. They make freedom in Christ a license to sin. This is particularly true of those who follow Gnosticism. Immorality means not be moral, to do whatever we want, we want to do, and no longer obey the Lord Jesus Christ. It means not following God's commands, his word, how the Lord wants us to live. We still need to obey the Lord Jesus Christ. His law is now written on our hearts. Because we are freed from observing the whole law of Moses in order to be saved. Since we're now saved only by the grace of Jesus Christ through faith, we are now to obey the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Has the Holy Spirit ever nudged you and said, why don't you go do this? Or why don't you not go do that? That's happened with me. Always check that out, though, by going to the written word, because that's how the Lord actually teaches us, is through the written word. We must not trade the grace that he's given us away by trying to do the works of the law. It's useless. We can't, we can't do the whole law. People who try to do that are fooling themselves. It's, it's an impossibility. The Jews couldn't do it. We certainly can't do it. On the other hand, we must not live a life against the law of grace and the Holy Spirit. So he gives us the beginning of uh, criteria of who a false teacher is, what they do. And we'll look at this a lot more in the next, study, next studies. The first one is they deny Jesus Christ. They may not uh, deny that he existed or something like that, but how they deny him is when they teach a false gospel. When a false gospel is preached, Christ is denied. When you just preach something like, oh, decide for Jesus and come forward, you're not preaching the gospel. There are a lot of people who've been, quote, unquote, saved with that kind of a message. They're not saved. They haven't been presented the facts. But worse than easy believism, third wave teachers have people come forward so they can get under, under their control. Oh, I'll give you the Holy Spirit. I'll lay hands on you and you transfer the Holy Spirit to you. That's absolutely forbidden in the Bible. 
We are not to do that. And yet they do it all the time. They do what's called slain in the spirit. And it's not biblical. It comes from Eastern mysticism. Thus, even if a person hears enough of the gospel to be saved, the birds come and pick up the seed. One of the most dangerous times is right when a person is almost ready to believe. I found that to be true. That's when the devil will really attack. He knows he can get him. Jesus said in Luke 8, 5, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell among the path, and it was trampled on, and the birds of the air ate it up. Birds are often a symbol in the Bible of, demon, of demonic stuff, demons. So the person scatters the seed, but unfortunately it gets trampled on and the birds eat it up, eat it up and get rid of it. They take it away. Second Peter 2.18 says, For they mouth empty boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of the sinful human nature, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. <laughs> there it is. They're just escaping. It's a sensitive time. But that's what they do. They appeal to the lustful desires of the sinful human nature. Oh, I want to get slain. I want to get, you know, I want to, this and that. That's how they entice people into error. They often preach a gospel like this. God loves you. Just say yes to Jesus, and he'll forgive all your mistakes, past, present, and future. Come forward and receive Jesus Christ. Is that the gospel, folks? No, it's not. Nothing is mentioned there about man's sin condition, why Jesus Christ had to come and is the perfect sacrifice, about repentance, about the crucified life, etc. So that kind of gospel doesn't have the power to save. And there are a lot of people who claim, I'm born again, but they're not. They haven't heard the true gospel. Because they're empty, boastful words without real salvation power. The real salvation power comes from the truth about what the gospel is. And guess what? We need to be careful to make sure we present the gospel in the right way so that people can actually be saved. I know some of you are, are familiar with Romans 16, 17, and 18. I urge you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. This is one of the reasons why I do the kind of Bible studies that I do. I put out a whole book called Bible Studies in Discernment. Because I want people to become discerning 
not naive, discerning people who can tell the difference between what's right and wrong. Hey, I needed to, to learn how to do that myself. And I'm still learning. But we all need to be taught by the Holy Spirit how to not be naive and just accept, you know, whatever people say. People are often deceived into thinking big TV evangelists are true believers because they talk about Jesus and do slain in the spirit, and they claim that they're anointed. But you know what? That's not true Christianity at all. Better to follow somebody who's maybe not so well-known, but has their theology right. Hard to find today. I've tried to help so many people who are having a hard time finding any place to fellowship with other believers because so many places are into all kinds of ridiculous teachings that will hurt you. I know some of you have had that same experience. I did too. These guys are smooth talkers and they flatter people with things they want to hear. Tickling their ears with the promise of health, wealth, and power. It's almost like we have a whole generation of shamans <laughs> in the churches. I want to be a shaman, a Christian shaman. Be careful of people like that. 2 Timothy 4, 3 says, for the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. People will gather around them the kind of teachers they want. We've seen that today. Unfortunately, I would say we have a whole generation of people who are really not interested in doctrine. They're not interested in true Bible teaching. They're not interested in people like Jacob Prash to actually hear, you know, real teaching. This is always, this has been my goal for many years. And that's why I started my website to get people in touch with people like Jacob and others who are teaching true doctrine and the truth about the Bible. And so that they can have access to those people because it is hard to be out on your own. We're not meant to be out on our own as believers. We are meant to be in fellowship, to help one another. And that's what I hope we can do in these Bible studies is help one another. And I've seen it happening. I've seen the people hanging around after the Bible studies talking to each other and, and encouraging one another. That's just great. I think it's wonderful. 